0: to freedom fighters code gray this is a show where we discuss human trafficking an issue that's impacting our communities we often think about the trafficking of persons as something that happens in other countries in other places in the world but in fact this is something that's happening in our own backyard the city of Barrie has double the national trafficking rate and we know that 90% of people over 90% of people who are trafficked in Canada are from within Canada's borders. So today, I'm really excited to introduce the guest that we have on the show, Abigail, who is here to share her journey of fighting for freedom for others. She is a social justice warrior, and so thanks so much for being on the show today, Abby. No, thank you for having me. So just to begin, um, some of our viewers might be tuning in and have never heard about trafficking. So like in your own words, like what is human trafficking?
1: So human trafficking can have a lot of definitions. For me, in its simplest form, it can be the recruiting and selling of people for the purposes of exploitation. But that exploitation can take many different forms. It can be sexual, which can be the predominant way that people are being exploited, or it can be physical, it can even extend to organ harvesting. There's a lot of different areas that they can do it in.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned physical, so we know that labor trafficking is yes. the type of trafficking that's impacting the globe. And the city of Barrie had an instant of yeah. labor trafficking Recently, but sex trafficking in Canada is the predominant form of exploitation. So, um, could you share with me just like how did you first hear about trafficking? You know, share your story of how you learned about trafficking and then what happened next? Absolutely. Um, For me, it actually started really young.
1: I was about 14 years old and I went to South Africa and I was working in refugee camps there. And the reason why my story starts there is because when I was there, my eyes were opened. Like before that, I had just been in Canada. I didn't really know anything of what was happening in the world. And then I went there and I was faced with poverty and I was Mm -hmm. faced with, these are real life things that are happening, right? Not everyone is living. like a a really beautiful life, I guess. Some people are struggling and Mm -hmm. that really hit me. So when I came home, I was only there for about a month, the struggle that other people were living through stayed with me and I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And so I just went into this, I need to look at what's happening in the world. I need to see what I can do. And it just really lit up my heart for it. Um, And then the more I started researching social injustices, I found out about trafficking. And at the time trafficking, it was becoming a bit more, uh, the people were speaking about it more, that conversation was starting to happen. But most people didn't actually really know a whole lot about human trafficking. And so I was probably like 16 at the time and, My faith has a big part to do with that. So I felt like God was really sharing his heart with me that, you know, if God loves us and and we are called his children, that he is not okay with what's happening. He's not okay with people living in poverty, first of all, but he's not okay with people being recruited and sold and used and abused. And he's not okay with that. And so my heart started breaking for that as well. Mm. Um, And that just that's what happened for me. I just as soon as I became aware of these things and started seeing them and researching them, I couldn't forget Mm. them. Ever.
0: That's beautiful. I love like just you sharing so openly that you know you went to another country and you saw suffering, right? Human suffering. And that moved you to empathy and compassion and started, you know, you were open to what the injustices that are in this world. And then through research and understanding you began to learn about trafficking and realize, okay, like this Is is something horrible that's happening in our world. Um, So, then what did you do with that when you were wrestling with, you know, this is a terrible thing that's happening in our world and my heart, you know, wants to help and support those who are in situations of exploitation and pain and suffering? What did you do next? So, I have to be
1: honest with you. At first, when all these things were happening and I was looking into it more, I just became depressed. It was really hard. I went through about a whole year where I just cried myself to sleep every night because I was Mm -hmm. like, what can I do? Honestly, what can I do? Like This problem is overwhelming. And it was very overwhelming for me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was like that divide of, I can't do anything, I don't know what to do, versus this is happening and I have to do something. I can't not do something. And I knew that it was changing the trajectory of my life because there's no way I could go a day without not thinking about this anymore. Um, and so I really struggled through that for a while. But then I came to this place where I was like, no, I'm, I need to join this fight, right? Mm. We can do something, and it's about one life. Yes, there may be the statistics that we flash sometimes, right? And don't get me wrong, it's heartbreaking. Like There are millions or thousands, hundreds in slavery today but we need to take that aside. And I really started to see like each number has a face and that became really, really real and true for me. I had to focus on that one. And once I started doing that, it just started pushing me more. Like if I can do something that's gonna impact the one, then Mm -hmm. I need to do that. And so then I started seeking out ways that I
0: could do it. (laughs) Wow, that is so beautiful. And I think that brings the humanity to, you know, this issue because sometimes when we talk about trafficking and you're right, we name the stats and we're explaining how it happens. So we forget these are human beings. Like these are people who have names and faces and individual stories. Like they're individual people, right? With individual needs. With, dreams. in dreams yeah, yeah absolutely so yeah, thanks for being so open and honest too about it was overwhelming at first like this is hard <laughs> this is this is a tough issue to talk about right it wasn't I just like it with it <laughs> yeah it wasn't just like oh this is a horrible thing and i'm gonna do something immediately like oh. you wrestled through with it and um and then started to see like there's you know one person potentially that you yeah. could impact and 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 do life with so once you came to that realization, like there's something that I can do, what is that first step that you took? Um, well, to be honest, I think my step might have been a bit more radical, but I felt God
1: <laughs> leading me to do something a little bit maybe more crazy. Um, but when I was 17, I finished high school a little bit earlier than some, and I took off to Thailand. I moved there for about half a year, and I worked at the Prevention of Human Trafficking and Economic Sustainability in more rural areas where women were being affected um, but just really intense situations, like say incest was going to lead them into trafficking or different situations like that.
0: Wow. So you journeyed <laughs> all the way to Thailand yeah. and spent almost half a year there. What did a typical day look like? Was there a typical day, you know? like yeah. What kind of things were you involved in to help fight trafficking in Thailand? Honestly, um, it's, it's really crazy for me and beautiful and hard. All at the same time
1: what i'm about to say it's all about relationship mm-hmm. so i went to i was living out they labeled it extreme poverty but in all honesty it's so beautiful out there so i was out in this really really northeastern area of thailand and i was interning with an organization and i had been in bangkok for a month already so i had been studying thai studying the culture figuring out like how things were working there and studying some of the underlying um, causes of human trafficking and sexual exploitation specifically in the country so when i got to my internship Um, It was almost like a community home, where girls were pulled from really difficult situations. For example, there was one girl who her father, um, incest was about to happen within weeks or months. And so they pulled her out and put her into this home because once that happened, she would have been exploited. Um, Or women who were in the sex trade and their daughters were growing up with them literally just in that environment, like seeing their mother working in that. And so they were being groomed for the position. So these were girls being pulled out. And so at the time, I think there was about 13 or 15 girls that I worked with. And so it took a lot of different forms. I lived at the center with them. So it was kind of like a 24-7 thing. Um, And so I was teaching them English. I was working with them one-on-one if they were ever going to big events or just at home, we were doing things with them. Even when it came to like harvesting a rice field, I would be out (laughs) there in the field, harvesting with them, which was quite fun. Um, But yeah, it was just, it's life on life. Hmm. Journeying with these girls, they had scars and they had traumas that they're working through. And they were things that had healed, but there were still things that needed to be healed. Um, And some Hmm. of these girls were still at risk, right? So it was just every single day, walking beside them as they lived through their through their lives and as they pursued their dreams, whether that was just, I want to finish school so I can have such a better opportunity for the future and I'm not going to be pushed into prostitution or trafficking, right? Mm. So, yeah, just living life one-on-one, being relational with them. Um, sometimes I would journey with specific girls if they had to visit family or go into a specific area. It was kind of like you wanted to be a support system for them if they were going back to even a family situation that had been hostile, so.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wow, that is, sounds like an amazing journey that you went on. And one thing that I admire as you're sharing and reflecting is that you mentioned like before you went to Thailand, you began to learn the language, learn about the culture. Because I imagine positioning yourself in this work, right? Like going overseas to a new culture, <laughs> to like support people and yeah. to build relationships. Um, it's difficult, right, to, so how did you do that? Can you share a bit about that process of just yeah positioning yourself in the work and then finding mm-hmm. your place kind of like as an outsider, um, but yeah. still feeling like, you know, you weren't needed in terms of like supporting these individuals and being a part of this internship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, My first month before the internship was almost like a school. So they were teaching us the language, but the main part is exactly things that you were hinting to, like you need to learn the language and get into the culture, because especially in a place like Thailand, I'm a tall white blonde. I stand out like a sore thumb. Mm. Um, And so it was just, even the basic Thai that I had started to speak before I went there made such a difference, right? Because most um, tourists who are there don't know any Thai, maybe just hello. And so when I started to do that and started to learn more Thai and would just kind of move into areas where tourists weren't and speak Thai to the people, their head would just kind of turn around and be like, hey, this is a little different. And so that became a first kind of in with people when I was there, even the girls I was working with. Um, But then it was even just... It has to be about them and their culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I went there, I knew that I had to give up things from from my life and my culture. And I wanted to take that on. And it was such a joy. And it's so beautiful, like the culture, the people. And so I just started taking that on, right? Like the songs that they would sing, I would listen to them. Um, mm-hmm. Or I would just join in their festivities. Like I'm not bringing myself or Canada to them. I'm bringing just who I was in that moment, and I wanted to be there with them and just take Mm. on whatever it could be that I could join with them in their culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, Um, yeah. And then the other part of it is just things happen, right? When you're just open and and when you're there, when you're on the ground and you're there and you're living life with people one-on-one, it just happens. So um, I was working at the prevention of... Um, sexual exploitation when I was there. But towards the end of my trip, I also had the chance to go into huge indoor adult playgrounds when I was in Thailand. And so I've walked some of the worst strips for trafficking and exploitation there. Mm. And when I was there, it was honestly just because I had connections. I had met people. I had spent time with people. And they just kind of said, hey, we're going to invite you to come and we're going to, we're going to try and just talk to these women, right? And, and, and make a relationship and partner with them. And so that just also gave me that in to just to go and see that other side of of what was happening
0: there. Hmm. So. Thanks so much for taking the time just to share a bit about, you know, your trip to oh, Thailand absolutely. and the work that you did overseas to support people who had been in situations of exploitation, but also to prevent people from exploitation. Um, It's really just amazing, your heart to love others and um, to serve others and to be a part of the fight in this way, so we're gonna take a short break, but we'll be back in a couple of minutes to talk more about Abigail's journey in fighting for freedom. Welcome back to Freedom Fighters Code Grey, a show where we discuss human trafficking, what it looks like in our own backyard and what it looks like in the world. I'm here with my guest, Abigail, who's sharing her journey of going to Thailand to spend six months assisting people who have been trafficked in other ways that she's fighting human trafficking today. So Abigail, could you share with us, when you went to Thailand, is there one story that kind of resonates with you that you think about that really just impacted the way that you do life?
1: Absolutely. There's one story that I always come back to, and it was the very first time I ever encountered and spoke to a woman who's being exploited and trafficked. Um, So I always call it Ben's story. So basically, I went with a few really close friends of mine at the time from the organization I was volunteering with, and we went to Nana, which is probably the biggest indoor adult playground for exploitation and trafficked women in Thailand, in Bangkok. And so we were walking through the streets and I was really just looking at these women and it's just countless bars on either side of you, packed with women, whether they're just kind of sitting at the front and welcoming guys in, um, whether they're doing small sexual favors in front of everyone, whether you go further in and there's a strip club or you're actually getting to the brothels, anything like that. And so it's just these areas that are packed with women in clubs and men, right? And so I'm walking through this and it's overwhelming and it's crazy. And I'm not really seeing any one woman that I feel led to go speak to at that moment. Um, But then I turn around because I reach the end of the plaza and I turn around and I'm walking back and then I see her. And so basically, if you want to talk to these women who are at these bars or these clubs there, you need to buy their time. So I sat down and I asked her if I could just talk to her for a few minutes and she said yes. And so she she got. one or two shots of vodka, and then I bought a Coke. And so because I had bought her time with a drink, now I could talk to her a little bit, and that's just the way it worked because they don't want anyone pulling business away from the woman. And I sat down, and she had broken English, and I had, like, basic kind of broken tie for my time there. And we were talking together, and I was just asking basic questions, like, you know, are you from around here? Do you have family? And slowly she started telling me, like, like, just these kind of disjointed parts of her life that I was piecing together and mm-hmm. it was basically she had a mom and she had a sister and she worked six or seven days a week and she'd work all night long and she was just doing mm-hmm. this to support her family because she had no other option at that point for different things that had happened in her life and um, she just hated it and the one thing that I saw in time is that they had a mask on and I could tell she was wearing that mask with me. It's like a mask that the woman wear when men are around because they can't show anything, right? They can't be showing, oh, I hate what I'm doing right now, or like, I don't mm-hmm. want to be talking to you. They can't do that. Um, and so I could see that with me. She was very guarded. She was very closed, And she was just telling me things about her life, and my heart was breaking, but there wasn't really anything I could do because I could tell. She didn't really know what to say to me either. Um, and after probably about 15 minutes, she gets to that point where, okay, we should probably stop talking. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. I stood up to go and I said, okay, like, thank you so much for sharing with me. I think it's time that I go now. And I was leaving for Canada about three or four days. And she uh, and she just stood up. And, I mean, like, she's a beautiful girl. She had blue mm-hmm. contacts in to actually make her look more Western. But, like, long black hair. She was wearing a bikini and stilettos. And they were, like, sticking from her feet like a foreign object. Um, but, like, gorgeous. But just, you know, I just... My heart broke that she was there and that I couldn't just bring her with me in that moment. Mm. Um, And she just stood up and she was like, are you coming back? And she just said, please come back and talk to me for Mm. one moment. And the mask fell and she was just like, come back, please, and see me one more time. Right, Like just Mm. 15 minutes that I can talk to someone who doesn't want to have sex or anything like that. Um, And it was heartbreaking because, sorry, Mm. (laughs) she was just like, sorry, I was like, "Um, I can't. I'm going back to Canada. I'm leaving. I can't come see you again, right? But I'll never forget that because um, I believe I gave her a hug, but then I just walked away. Mm. But that will always, always stay with me because that's Ben's story. And that's only 15, 20 minutes of time that I had in my life with her, but there were hundreds of other girls in the same spot all around her. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's
0: one thing that hit me the most. I'd say that's the mm. story that I'll never forget as long as I live. <laughs> so. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with mm. me, Abigail. And... Mm-hmm. Um, just for being so honest about like your own emotions and how like you were moved by that interaction. And I think that goes back to what you were talking about earlier too, like each individual is an individual person, right? And um, each human being has value and worth. And I know when we talk about sexual exploitation in particular, which Mm -hmm. is the focus of what we're talking about today, yeah, there's a, like a myth in, in society that somehow someone who is engaged in sex work either by choice um, or if someone's in a situation of human trafficking forced for sexual exploitation, that that individual is somehow less than, They're, right? There is this myth that's perpetuated in society. And I think for you to just have a casual conversation with someone and remind them of their value and worth, like how impactful, that was not only in your own life but that individual wanting you to come back and carry that relationship forward. so I'm wondering, like after you know that interaction that was so um, meaningful mm-hmm. and that taught you a lot, I imagine, when you came back to Canada, like what were your next thoughts? what were things that yeah. you know you kind of what, what were your next steps in your in your fight
1: for others' freedom? yeah. When I came back to Canada, again, it was really hard. I think it was just kind of, okay, I'm in Canada again and I'm not doing that like more frontline work that I had been doing. And so I kind of went into like a hibernation in my home for about a month, but it was just a lot of time of prayer and seeking what were my next steps because I was praying and thinking the same thing. Like, what do what do I do? Where do I go from here? Um, and yeah, it just really started this process of, okay, what am I gonna do next? But one thing I knew above all was that this, this is what I'm doing. I'm giving my life to this. like. Even that one encounter with Ben, like, I'm never going to forget that. And I'm going to give my life to have those encounters, but not just those encounters, but to do more, right? If there's any way that I could one day say, hey, this is the life you're in. It's nothing you ever chose. And if I can, I want to bring you with me if that's what you want. Um, And so that's what I wanted to give my life to. And that became really clear in the months that I came home. And then, yeah, I just started kind of
0: planning the next steps, I guess. (laughs) And I know one of your next steps led you to Peru. Yes. So what were you doing in Peru?
1: Yeah, so I moved to Peru. Um, It was actually, it was similar and different in many ways. So one of the biggest similarities was, I went first and I studied Spanish um, for a month straight for about eight hours a day um, and just got to know the culture, like just um, embedding myself into different groups and churches and people and meeting with organizations probably like every night after school. Um, and so I did that for about a month, a month and a half, like really just, I need to learn this place. I need to learn Peru. I need to learn the language and and get into that. Um, and then a lot of doors actually opened. I worked with a few organizations that were combating human exploitation there. However, in Peru and South America, it's pretty sad. There's not actually a whole lot going on. And even though the government knows about it and they're making advances to talk about it, there's still like this shame, right? Like it's mm. happening in our country. And so there's not a not. lot of organizations fighting it. You mean no. like they're, okay. It was really hard to find mm. people who are on the ground. So mm. I worked with one organization that was, um, they were working within the schools and the government to raise awareness and show people like this is happening in our country wow. right now. Um, and then I worked with one organization predominantly, it was actually a legal office that worked with women to free them in with, um, refugees as well. And they actually gave me the opportunity to write a massive report about what was happening in Peru. And so for two wow. months, yeah, for two months, it was, it was such an amazing opportunity. I got to actually study what's happening with human trafficking in Peru. And then I actually got to travel to some of the places that I was studying and kind of see what I could from my point of view. Um, so that led me to a few places. I... Ended up, so in, sorry, let me backtrack a bit. In Peru, the biggest problem with human trafficking is that girls are being pulled from the Amazon. So the Amazon connects in like Peru, Brazil, different countries, um, but a lot of times they're coming from more indigenous tribes or such like that, and so they don't have. Uh, as much education as people in the city would, maybe something like that. And so they're just being pulled and they're being coerced, right? And it's honestly the same ways as it is in Canada. Mm. They're either being told that they're going to fall in love, a false job offer, whatever mm. it is that's coercing them. And then mm. the second biggest problem in Peru is that there's a ton of illegal mining Um, gold Mm. mining happening and so a lot of times these girls are being pulled from their families told that they're going to get a lot of money we're going to support you she's going to work in like the big city like lima Mm. and that's such a lie and then they pull her into the middle of nowhere into the amazon Mm. where someone can get lost for 40 years Mm -hmm. and then they bring her to an illegal mining camp and she literally lives in like just a shack with a not even a shack, it doesn't even have walls. It's like a tarp, a canvas tarp. Mm -hmm. And she has her rim and she just services miners. Like that's her life and her existence. Um, And so Mm. I actually went out to one of these jungle areas that was horrible, horrible for the trafficking and such. Um, Now at the time, I didn't have a lot of backing. So I actually made a contact to go to an illegal mining camp and check it out, but it was way too dangerous, so I had to pull back. Um, But then I also had the opportunity at a different time when I was there to go to um, a girl's home of, uh, girls who had been trafficked or abused by their family um, or exploited or any of the above, any kind of different situation. Um, and that was really heartbreaking because I saw girls who were 14 and they had one or two-year-old daughters and that wasn't their choice. That was a result of being trafficked or raped by a father. Mm. Um, and so I got to research it and I got to see what was happening there, but then I actually got to, to see it and visit these places as well. So that was,
0: that was pretty incredible also in the sense of just being able to open my eyes to it yeah and i can only imagine um being in that place of learning and learning and like learning a new culture but then learning like so much of the injustice that's in this world right like so much um the so much exploitation in these places and these kids that you've seen who have um experienced suffering so how do you Um, like, in a few minutes, like, how do you have hope, like, when the situation feels so overwhelming and and dark, and what keeps you going, what's next for you, like, what do you want to continue to do in, in fighting for others' freedom? Yeah,
1: I think what keeps me going is coming back to the one, Like Mm -hmm. even when I was visiting this aftercare home in Peru, these girls sometimes would just freak out because of the trauma, right? It's just an emotional reaction and it's very difficult, but at other times we were going swimming and they would just come up to me and say, can you teach me to swim? And they're just smiling, right? And it's when you see that smile and that youth and that innocence come back into their eyes Um, and just just being there one-on-one in the moment with them. Like, absolutely, I want to teach you to swim, right? And just just different things like that, that's what gives me hope because... Mm -hmm that's the life that we all want, right? Like, mm-hmm. to be able to, to dream and love and laugh and explore and have adventures and go swimming. Like, all these different things that we can sometimes take for granted. And so seeing people doing that, girls who had once been trafficked or exploited or abused by their family, being able to step into that life, that's what keeps me going. Mm-hmm. And then when I come back here, it's all the faces, right? The statistics I was talking about earlier. And then you see all their faces and all together when I see that. And like, how can I not? work and strive so that I keep doing that, right? So, like, that there's a smile for more women, so that more freedom can come to them, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the future, so I'm actually, I'm finishing my studies soon. My heart is to go into the actual investigation side of human trafficking. Um, I do have experience working against human trafficking and sexual Mm -hmm. exploitation in Canada as well, Um, and so seeing that here also breaks my heart, and so I'm continuing that work. Um, But my heart is to go into investigation because I want to... I want to find the woman and when you're asking my next steps forward, like for me, my heart is these women oftentimes are locked behind closed doors. They're mm. in such a place of darkness. And so what is that hope? And the hope is the light. Mm. For me, like if these women are locked behind a door and no one's ever going to find them, only the trafficker knows where they are. God knows where they are first off. But like if we know where they are, if we can go and we can open that door and shed light into everything that's happening in their life, Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. That's what gives me hope. Mm -hmm. That one day these women who are suffering and that suffering that's unbearable and overwhelming, it can be turned around.
0: Mm -hmm. Abigail, your story is so inspiring. And um, I know I've just been so blessed to just hear um, what you've been learning. Could you just really quickly just share one way that our viewers could you know, participate in the fight for freedom really quickly.
1: Absolutely. Um, Oh man, one way, can I give two ways? (laughs) Sure, yeah. Um, The biggest one is awareness. Like always let yourself know what's going on and and Mm -hmm. get yourself involved in that sense of like ask questions, research and see what's happening. Um, The second thing for me is sometimes people are like, we really want to get involved look into local um, organizations or
0: people who are fighting on the ground around you because there are people so just look into it amazing well abigail thank you so much for oh, being on the show today thank and just you. to stare share your story of um you know going overseas and learning about trafficking and now going to school to be able to hopefully one day on the investigation side support people who are being impacted by this yeah. injustice in our communities if you are someone you know is impacted by human trafficking, and if you're in immediate danger, please call 911. Um, If you need support services or want additional information, you can call the Canadian Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-833-900-1010. Again, that's 1-833-900-1010. Thank you for tuning in to Freedom Fighters Code Grey. We hope to catch you next time.